all the people that I met last year, there was two that really, really stood out to me. And you know both of them. No, just kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One of them was you. And so I really loved meeting you. Our conversations from the very beginning have inspired me and compelled me and made me think about things that I hadn't before. And so I wanted to ask you, you're one of the people that came to me when I set out on this journey of really wanting to break open what is friendship? Like, what is it? And what does it mean to be a friend to yourself? What does it mean to be friends with other people? Uh, What does it mean to be a friend with God? You're in a position now, you know, as a new mother, and you're exploring a new form of relationship. And I'm curious about that. When I even say the word friend or friendship, what comes up for you first? Thank you. What comes up for me in natural philosophy, it is said that our purpose is to create symbiosis and understanding of our environment to create a harmony. And I feel like friendship creates a bond with that environment. And in the center of that harmony, we find home. I think friendships give meaning to our experience here. Mm in life gives us depth and helps us know ourselves and helps us experience things like loyalty, honesty. It teaches us to be listeners Mm. and it teaches us uh, to be compassionate and to be observant and sensitive, conscientious. I think friendship teaches us all these things that maybe we wouldn't be able to learn on our own. Friendship for me is comfort and and safety, feeling like, you know, you're a speck on a rock spinning into infinity. It's um, someone to give you a hand through that. (laughs) It's really cool. I mean, I love so much of what you just said, but one of the things that's standing out to me right now is you give this list of things friendship allows you to practice. That list was primarily things that lead you outside of yourself. As you said, you know, to be able to have a relationship especially a symbiotic relationship with the external world. As great as it is that kids are in their internal world, if they just stayed in there the whole time, they would never learn what an orange was or what they could eat and what they couldn't eat, all of that other stuff. So I'd never seen friendship like that before, but that's a really beautiful way to say it is not only are you practicing those skills with another human, which is important on a cultural sense and like a well-being sense, but practicing being a better listener is actually a survival skill too. I'm reminded of George Washington Carver. He was this scientist guy who fell in love with peanuts. And <laughs> he just like found over 300 <laughs> uses for peanuts. What he said was, anything will give you its secrets if you love it enough. I'm reminded about him because you're saying listening. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's mm-hmm. kind of like he was listening to peanuts for like a super long time while they were literally saying nothing. But that's a form of friendship. To think that he could have been taught that level of listening by someone else that was in his life prior is a really fascinating idea to me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, friends, for making me who I am today. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Allowing me to be who I am today. Mm. Teaching me to, to be the person I want to be for others. That's quite a fascinating idea to me, too, to think that, like, I'm looking at you right now, and it looks like you're one person. But you've also been so shaped and formed by hundreds, if not thousands, of people. Of friendships, yeah. Friendships. And what a beautiful way to mark your life is the journey through friendship. Mm. 
just sitting here now and just referring back to quickly leafing through all the amazing friendships over over the years mm. um, in different phases of my life. We almost like cast lines to these people we're gifted with in life and those lines remain. We are tethered to these people mm. through life. Uh, it's pretty beautiful. And yes. like I said, I mean, when you have that, it's almost like they're your anchors, like mm. I was saying, and you won't tether out too far. Mm. You'll have your, your lighthouses. Yeah, it's interesting too, because I mean, I wouldn't even have met you if it wasn't for mutual friends that we had. Mm -hmm. There's this other saying I love, I think it was Thomas Jefferson, if I've seen farther than other men, it is because I'm standing upon the shoulders of giants. That whole idea of this interlinking that we have to each other, a part of why you are so wealthy, you have so much to share that I'm so interested in. It's in part because you are a reservoir, you're a, a library of beautiful conversations. Mm -hmm. I see you had this book from Georgia O'Keeffe about art and letters, you know, and it's like, who are the letters to? Probably friends. They were friends. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. but it's not letters to her banker or something like that that yeah. we find interesting later. When you think back to impacts that some of your best friends have made on you, what comes to mind? How have you changed over the years because of those friendships, would you say? Mm -hmm. Well, I was moved most when friends came to my aid or to my defense. Mm. Just kind of like going above and beyond. Um, and it's never spoken in a friendship that that's what's expected, at least in my friendships. You know, just being present and trusting and honesty mutually is, is all that's expected. But seeing friendships in, in the past where they really pulled through in really monumental ways for me and expecting nothing is really powerful, really beautiful. And those moments... A shared burden without any expectation beyond that of just that's what we're here is to help bear the weight of the world it's much easier to carry it on a group of our shoulders rather than our own and it's a beautiful visual too it is. if you think of a group of people encircled holding hands and and bearing this this weight of the world and journeying together you imagine if it's just one person they're crushing under the weight it's a gorgeous thing, friendship, in that way. And where it comes from is very fascinating to me. It's like that internal, natural compass that leads us into creating friendships and then doing this for our friends. This like secret code of friendship that's kind of just like born into our DNA. Hmm. I guess they could call it tribalism and it's based for survival or whatever. But then there's things that's like, I guess it's keeping friends maybe is the unspoken. <laughs> we do these things because we know hmm. these are the things that will keep our friends. But I personally don't consciously say, I'm going to listen to my friend for hours speaking from the heart because I need to keep this friend. It's not even in my mind, but it's this natural phenomenon of, I need to sit here and listen to hours of my friend speaking from the heart. I need this just as she needs to speak and I need to listen. And I need to felt heard and honored and, and have that space held for me just as much as my friend does. Well, when you're talking about it on like evolutionary level, this shared burden and our ability to lift something together that we can't alone is a huge part of it and was clearly a survival element 
I think of barn raisings. It's kind of like that old-fashioned idea of I can't make my barn by myself, but yeah. if, like we all band to do it. Yeah. You know, we can all do it, and then I'll build your barn, and then you know we all we all get barns basically mm-hmm. when we couldn't have. Or like lifting a piano. You're talking about this subconscious driver that we have to do these stoking of the fire kinds of things. Probably our ancestors who didn't have that just passed away. Mm. So the ones that we do have that had the better chance of survival largely had those instinctual drivers. Yeah, you're right. And emotional burdens can be like grand pianos (laughs) needing moving. (laughs) They certainly can. I'm even kind of reminded right now about how there's those moments when you're feeling so alone or going through something so hard and then you read the words of the poet or you have this song playing and you just feel so seen and heard in that moment. And it's like that emotional barrier or that Mm. weight just lifts. I saw the Pope, not personally, (laughs) digitally, saw the Pope speak at a world (laughs) summit and he said, the greatest disease of the planet is loneliness. Mm. And that struck me because never have we had more population on the planet. And I thought that that was so bizarre that the world is so lonely. And it's like, where are our friendships? Mm. Friendship is the medicine to loneliness. Stunning. What is keeping us from those friendships in modern time is a good analysis that, uh, or something we should all take a look at. What's alienating us because friendships are everything. They're so enriching and they keep us from that abyss, that feeling that there's no way out or this is all just too much to take. I'm curious to continue these conversations that you're bringing up today about how do we continue to cultivate friendships in our lives? We're pushing it away. Why? The ingredients of a friendship have a person and a person and some form of communication back and forth. And those same ingredients are used all of the time in ways that don't produce friendship. You know, so it's clear that the same ingredients can either be in a friendship or not, which is to say it's almost like you can make things and some of the things are art and some of them aren't. And there's this subtle difference at some point where it becomes art or it becomes friendship. And I think it would be beautiful to illuminate some of those little pieces and elements because... This is a thing that theoretically, potentially anybody can do. Mm -hmm. And yet, I would say in the majority of communications people have, they would tend not to be ones that would go towards building friendships. Yeah. Even in people that we call friends or circles that seem as friends, there can also be great lonelinesses, which doesn't really hit the deeper meaning of what you're saying there. Mm Mm-hmm. You look at things like the mass shootings that are happening, the spike in suicide rate, Mm -hmm. you know, that is unprecedented. You have to imagine that if those people had really good friends around them, mm-hmm. such things probably wouldn't have even been possible. Yeah, I guess that touches on um, on trust. And trusting someone to bear the deepest aspects of your soul, mm-hmm. to share your deepest fears and insecurities and doubts and things with. If you don't have that trust for whatever reason, to even if you do have friends, you're unable to share those things. Yeah, as you're saying that, I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking that trust is such a vital importance of the difference between talking regularly to somebody, mm. talking you know, meaningfully to somebody, talking completely vulnerable to somebody. The difference between those three is mm. 100% trust, being an encouraging, inspiring element, even just being a good community member mm. does have a lot to do, it turns out, with how trustworthy that you actually are or are perceived to be by the people around you. The skill of being trustworthy, if that was practiced, Mm. would lend towards friendships much easier. And trusting yourself. When we talk about trust, like that's a big one. Mm -hmm. What's your experience with that? 
Wow. Well, I think like many people, I've probably experienced uh, what it is to be trusted, what it is to betray trust, mm -hmm. vice versa. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, the different levels of honesty and deceit, <laughs> white lies versus very big mm -hmm. lies. I've done it all. And I, through life, have learned um, what type of friend I want to be by making mistakes of perhaps betraying trust in different ways hmm. in, in the course of my life. I want to be absolutely trusted by my friends, and I want to trust them in the same way. So in doing that, I trust myself in those situations to reveal the deepest aspects to myself absolute transparency with my friendships i do it knowing that i might be betrayed by my friend but i do it still because that's the type of person i want to be and that's the friend i want and the times that i have been betrayed i've also experienced a forgiveness and then i've also learned where some friendships just are meant to be placed further away from your personal space mm. a lot of people would call that an enemy but in this conversation, I'm also questioning, well, what is that exactly? Mm -hmm. An enemy is a friend with a disagreement, <laughs> a different mm -hmm. idea or belief. And so I think that that's interesting, too, of saying, actually, an enemy is a friend with an absolutely opposing idea than you. And that's okay. Well, I think what you said earlier about friends teaching each other things and giving the opportunity to learn things, you know, which isn't always as direct a form of teaching as we'd normally think of as teaching. But even like when your trust is betrayed, as you just mm -hmm. said, they're giving you the opportunity to learn about forgiveness. Yep. They're giving you the opportunity to learn about where your boundaries are and mm -hmm. all of that. And this thing came to me a while back in my journal about how some push you, some pull you, some lift you up, some put you down, but all help you move. You mm -hmm. know, and you just look at like the role of friends and the friendships as so formative in the character we tend to think of ourselves as a me you know as in this isolated thing inside of this other thing but we're so impressioned by all of it by the pushing and the pulling and, and all of it your friends especially at this time of your life having cultivated some of these ideas and lessons from all of the stuff that you've been through you know because even when you're talking about trust where you're at now and what you need i can hear that this wasn't something that you were born with you figured this out over time mm -hmm. so from this place what kinds of qualities are most interesting or important to you now in the people that you're closest with trust trust obviously. admiration sympathy honesty respect consideration compassion and generosity and more in a sense of just generous in, in presence and being who they are and respecting those qualities. <laughs> I love friends who are unafraid to be themselves. They trust themselves enough that they can be absolutely who they are and will feel that, that I will accept them. Loving people. I love loving people. I love hilarious people. People with sharp wit and great stories to tell and curious people. I love people who are childlike, mm -hmm. that remember to play and to remind me to play through curiosity to continue to inspire each other, to learn, to grow, to evolve as better people. 
I'm honestly kind of being blown away as I'm hearing this list because, of course, everything you're saying, I'm like, me, me, me. No, just kidding. <laughs> of <laughs> course. Like, of course. <laughs> no, I'm thinking like, yes, of course, that's what also I would want, you know, in my friends or have in my friends. But I'm also just realizing what a long list it is. And I don't mm. even know what other thing I could have asked you in the entire world that you could have had such a readily available long list of adjectives to describe. Friendship is actually quite a complex thing mm. with so many facets because... We want all of those things from our people. It's quite a intricate, sophisticated level mm -hmm. of interaction that's formed. Because if you tried to speak about the interaction, you know, between two aardvarks or something, like, yeah. I don't think you could come up with that many words. Yeah. And I do have to say, and I learned this through a relationship, actually. And in my relationship, we are first friends. <laughs> that I can't get everything out of one person. Yes. So I do have a community and all of them offer these different strengths. Mm. That would, as a community of friendship, would surmise a, a beautiful list as I've just outlined. And perhaps we all have these qualities or that we all aspire for these qualities. And we're all at different levels enlivening the potentiality of our, mm -hmm. our character. But yeah, I just wanted to make that clear because I was like, I'm not, I'm not like <laughs> interviewing each person that I come into life and be like, yeah. oh, not conscientious enough. Mm. Well, Sorry. You scored an 84 on uh, <laughs> humor. So. Yeah, you're not that yeah. funny. So you are not you're a little insecure. So because <laughs> it's funny because we all slip into different roles also depending on the friend we're with. Totally. I have very quiet friends that I'll be the more extroverted one. And then I have very extroverted friends. And then I'll suddenly wow. be the quiet one. And we can share those different aspects and play those roles with each other. Totally. And exercise those different aspects. And then we discover weaknesses and strengths in those moments and realize that, yeah, we do run the gamut of all these amazing traits. And that we can experience those if we choose to. I think Anis Nin was the one who talked about how when you meet a friend, it's like a new world is born in you. They kind of pull out this new world in you and that never would have even been pulled out if mm. you hadn't met that specific friend. Exactly, yeah. I think that is a really interesting kind of visual I'm seeing as I'm imagining you going between all of these different people, playing these different roles, pulling out different pieces of yourself, finding mm. different pieces of yourself, again with this whole beautiful space that keeps getting created of like, this is the kind of person that this person is through our empathy and sympathy. We're seeing gaps. We're seeing spaces. We're wanting to connect here. We're wanting to heal here. We're wanting to celebrate here. And how all of those words that you said, they all come out of a human. And I think in my work, that's one of the main things I'm so fascinated with is just how big and how beautiful a human is and how yeah. easy it is to just write it off and be like, oh, that's a guy or a girl and be like, no, this is like this fountain of millions of attributes mm -hmm. and i think having all of these friends can kind of help us remember that we're so much more than what our parents told us or what our school system knew to mm -hmm. tell us absolutely and it softens judgment because we are all so quick to judge of like i met this person this one time and they were very rude mm. that is a rude person and you write them off mm -hmm. and then what you maybe don't realize is that blip in, in that moment of time in that person's life you happen to interact with them when they happen to ha be have been upset in some way and you took that personal and then you wrote them <laughs> yes. as and you stamped them as this rude person and you will never talk to them again yeah. and then when you see that person again that's going to inform your experience with that person again and you're going to probably be defensive and mm. 
and it's it's something we all have of, of this like categorizing and needing to judge and it's just the way our brains work mm-hmm. but really bringing an awareness to this saying they're just having a rude moment they're actually this amazing noble being i heard that recently is sufis when they greet each other they greet each other with your majesty or your highness because they say i recognize the noble spirit in you beautiful isn't that gorgeous? It's gorgeous. And then so I was like, not only like that's how I want to greet everyone, hello, your highness, but also recognizing that in yourself too. Friends have such an ability to influence our thoughts on something. If I met someone one time and I was like, God, oh, that guy was such a jerk. And you happen to know them and be friends with them or even just have had a different experience. You would say like, oh, no, no, he was just having a bad day. Like, He's actually this incredible writer. Like you should read some of his stuff. He's going through a divorce right now, blah, blah, blah. And then instantly, just because you're sharing that with me and we have that bond of trust, it would instantly shift my entire idea about Mm -hmm. that, you know? And so it's kind of interesting to see this collection of thoughts or feelings or ideas that I have that I call mine, but how easily and readily I can just switch them out or change them completely, abandon them because of a friend that's why in the four agreements they say uh, gossip is poison mm. because you can also shift someone's for the positive or negative for the positive or negative wow <laughs> i choose not to participate in gossip beautiful sometimes i'll outline descriptions of people <laughs> so that you can you know if asked but speaking negatively about people i try to avoid because yeah you want that person to have their first-hand experience with that human being So what is the line specifically between gossip and description for you? I think character defamation is gossip. Speaking poorly about someone's character and not in their presence, I would say is gossip. Speaking about other people's personal issues and things without their permission, without their presence is gossip. Hmm. And I know, and I've also like been guilty of confiding with friendships of negative experiences I've had with other people, but I would still say I'm outlining an experience that I had with someone rather than that person and who they are and speaking poorly about them. I think that's interesting aspect is, let's say I did have a really bad experience with somebody and for whatever reason I was gossiping and telling you about that, there would definitely probably be some instinct in me to want you to agree with me about how bad this person was. And so there's this like collusion that happens, you yeah. know, which is a, seems to be a part of these bonds we form mm-hmm. is we want agreement because we want agreement, we will probably do what we can communication-wise to get that agreement from totally. the other person. And it's yeah. great. And I think that's still great to have. It's like, you know, I was in this fender bender and this guy got out and he was screaming at me and he was just like so awful with me. And I had this experience and this person's like, oh, I'm so sorry. That sucks. But that's it. That's the experience. But not go on and on about this guy. I hate him. Oh my God. If I see him again, I'm just going to ram him, you know? And if you see him, you ram him too. You know, it's none of, none of that. I feel like that's how generational wars start, you know? Because <laughs> yeah. it's not the person. It's like, we're all having an experience. Right. And like we said, and we're having a moment of emotion, but it's, it's all fleeting. It's all passing very quickly. So what's a deal breaker for you? Like you've been friends with somebody to some degree, stuff starts going wrong. Like Betrayal's a really hard one. Mm. Betrayal is really hard. And betraying my trust is a difficult one to move through. I've moved through it with people and then I've not been able to move through it with people. What um, Can you give us an example or something similar? 
Well. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to name names, but I just mean, I don't know. Like, I'm just curious what that means to you, Betrayal. Oh, well, shit. Well, (laughs) sorry. Well, I was going to say an affair, but it's just, it's really personal. (laughs) Sure. But, you know, that's something, something, you know, you you trust a friend and you trust your partner. Mm Mm-hmm. And then they both mutually betray your trust. That's very difficult to move through. Yeah, that's hard. That's a t- really tough one. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I've, I would have to say now I'm still friends with those people. Mm-hmm. That person's no longer my partner, <laughs> but still a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, I was eventually able to move past and not take it personal. It's a very difficult thing to do. It's a very emotionally trying thing to do. It's heartbreaking, but you, uh, you move through it. Even this phrase that you're saying, like, take it personal, to me, I'm kind of imagining the one person trying to lift the piano. When we take something personal, it's almost like we close in, we, mm-hmm. we block out, we imagine that something is just ours when it's not just ours, yeah, you know? that's the other lesson is these, we don't own these friendships mm-hmm. and we don't own these partnerships. Like, every day these people are stepping to, towards us. Like, every day they choose to be present with us. That's their choice. It's not ours. It's so hard to remember that. I mean, I know it is. Especially because when we want to keep that. them there. Yeah. We love them. Yeah. <laughs> we want them there for us always. Nature tells us that is um, oh. quite the opposite than what we should yeah. be getting used to. Wow. And to really just love and enjoy and appreciate and really show up to be the best of ourselves every day for these people who choose to be here for us. Mm-hmm. I'm even noticing, like, in my body as you're telling that story about betrayal. I feel like clenching, you know, because I'm like... Because we all... We know what that feels like. Yeah, (laughs) we know what that feels like. But even these words like betrayal, you know, or like trust, how differently they feel in my body as I say those words. Mm -hmm. There is this body response or like this opening or this closing that we're doing as we're communicating with people. And you see people who are very, very closed and it's almost always people who've been very, very betrayed. Yeah. That closing seems to make it really, really difficult to actually form new friendships. And also being the the betrayer, because I've also betrayed trust Mm. before too. And I would say that experience I close off as well. It's a very similar reaction, I think, from guilt and shame and and then defensiveness. Uh, You have to defend your reasoning behind why you betrayed or try to justify it and while you were saying that, I was like, oh, it's an interesting reflection of the other end. It's the both closing feeling, you know, uh, behaviors, reactions to the behaviors. Yeah, interesting, too, how we are, by the way we're treating the people around us, we are being very formative in the characters of people who will be someone's future friend or partner or father. <laughs> There's this kind of invisible responsibility that we seem to have about the way we're interacting with people and how that's going to create a future version of someone that is either like open and warm and loving and empathic or like closed and scared. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm a spiritual person. I'm not a religious person, but I learned later in life, the 10 commandments are actually rules for friendship. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) But it's like, I realized, you know, hell and they weren't speaking perhaps literally about hell and heaven, but it was like, you can either create on earth for yourself a beautiful heaven mm-hmm. or you can create a horrible hell right. and these are 10 really solid rules to have beautiful friendships yep 
be a healthy, um, wonderful member of society. And, and I thought that was interesting. So I thought somebody sat in a cave long enough to figure out and bring it down to 10 solid ones. Like, just do these 10 and you'll be great. Don't murder your friend. <laughs> yeah, that's always a downer. Don't sleep with their partner, yeah. you know. Don't lie to them. Don't steal from them. Don't take their chickens. Don't take their chickens, no. you know. But they're they're really good, solid rules. I think there's, what is it, seven deadly sins of sisterhood as well. I, I looked those rules up after I broke some. <laughs> when I lost some really important real friendships, I was like, what am I doing wrong here? And learned those lessons. If you do have to cut off a friendship or distance or whatever, as you say, what do you think is the best way to do that? Like, let's say a person is in a place where they feel like a relationship isn't serving them or is constantly draining from them or something. Have you been in that place before where you had to make that decision? Yeah, I've done it and I'm doing it in healthier ways. I've recently had to do that with my mother. She is my best, best friend, but I had to put up a boundary because our friendship was becoming toxic. I've done it in ways where I've ghosted and then rallied friends around me to also ghost this person, mm -hmm. which uh, this is very like high school mentality. And then now, like for instance, with my mother, it was uh, it was a dialogue, it was a communication, and she even surprised me with uncoupling. Uh, she used the term administrating <laughs> uncoupling or wow. I'm going to uncouple you, but it's kind of like a friendly divorce. Oh, conscious uncoupling. Yeah, conscious yeah. uncoupling. She, I guess she learned it from Goop or something. <laughs> but I was surprised because I was like <laughs> elaborately, you know, placing this boundary and saying, I can no longer bear this burden. It's you at this point need to help yourself. I can no longer help you. And then she brought that up and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's what it's called. It's like consciously uncoupling. I think that's like a really responsible way of communicating that you need to take distance from the friendship. And it doesn't feel final. Even the word divorce is final, but that's not what I think uncoupling is. It's like, we're just going to let go of each other's grasps here for a minute right. and let each other independently roam the world and learn our lessons. And we might come back to each other <sighs> wow. as bigger, better people. And rejoin hands then. That's something so much better than ghosting. And this friendship is over. And I'm throwing my half of the heart necklace uh, in the trash. Right. Best friends never. <laughs> <laughs> so all of this kind of brings us to your relationship with yourself. Yeah. Your own friendship with you. How has that changed over the years? Where are you at with that now? Well, first, just acknowledging that you have a relationship with yourself. Because, yeah, like you said, like all growing up, it's it's these these outward relationships. Mm -hmm. Then you discover, oh, there's a, there's a me here that I need to also take care of and consider and listen to mm -hmm. and nourish and respect and trust and all these things. All these skills that I've learned from my friendships and things through life, I can now apply mm -hmm. to the friendship with myself. And how glorifying. How enriching and how beautiful. And then when doing that, how I'm able to show up for my friends in a consistent and beautiful way. It's really interesting how all the external friends come and go, you know, over time. Mm -hmm. Friendship with the self yeah, is the one that stays right. the entire time. You're right. And it's funny that that's the last friend that I invited Same. to the party. <laughs> Same. I mean, it, it is odd, but it's like we have to somehow see all these external things, have all these external experiences to then eventually if ever because a lot of people don't even always make it that far but then to start turning in 
And it is almost like a kind of a coming of age, I think, in the human existence in a person's life is at that point where they're now able to take all the lessons that they've learned, that they've given and traded with others, and now start really applying them to the relationship with self. Mm-hmm. I think it's a part of the danger of the current time, which is that you referenced, is that there's so many distractions. I feel like there's like record-breaking number of distractions as there's ever been for humans, and record-breaking power and efficacy of those distractions because we've been testing to make them more and more distracting and more and more addictive you know and more and more engaging and more and more entertaining well what's his name uh yuval oh yeah harari Uh, yeah he uh when he said know yourself better than your algorithm wow and part of making friends with yourself is knowing yourself like i want to get to know you Wow. On the most intimate level, and now more time, more better time than ever. Because if I don't know myself, <laughs> then some algorithm's wow. going to tell me who I am. And I thought that that was really powerful. That's astounding. That was a, a great uh, moment of awareness for me. I was like, oh wow, yeah, these distractions are actually massive data collectors. They about, are about where they can suck my attention wow. and how, and they're going to keep on trying to do that until lights out (laughs) that's incredible too you know an aspect of friendship is that i i'm a huge fan of his and i would never have quoted that specific one but since that made such an impact on you and you shared how you saw that like that's put a whole new light on that to me you know Mm. it's so beautiful how 10 friends can be placed in a forest or on a mountain or in a river and we'll all see something different We'll all find some other little rock or little stream or little tree and Mm -hmm. we'll be saying, look at this, look at this. And that shared experience gets condensed in a way that's really, really valuable because exploration Mm -hmm. takes time. And you read that whole book or whatever, you read that whole interview. And then that's the one thing that pulled out that like really was singing to you right now. It's interesting that know thyself is one of the most like ancient ideals to humanity. And we're still working on it. We're still working on we're it. We're still barely started. And now with more distractions than ever. <laughs> yeah. like, now with more distractions. <laughs> I'm curious, like, do you have a practice for when something or someone moves you in some kind of a way that you consciously soak that up into your garden, so to speak, for later? Like, do you mm. have a journaling practice? What is your way of... Oh boy. Paying attention I, to that. I have many ways. I fearlessly outline in all my books. I underline everything mm. that, that touches me. I am a digital noteaholic. Mm-hmm. And then if you see over there, uh, I have a moleskin. Those are all filled front to back. Uh, on that wow. shelf there are just stacks of moleskins. Mm. Um, yeah, journals. but before using phones, I always carried the moleskin and the pencil with me everywhere Same. I went. <laughs> If I have a conversation, if an idea comes up, you know, you just like journal it down. And I love to leaf through those moleskins and see what kind of informs me or or strikes something in me in the moment now. Wow. And some of those are like, you know, 15 years old. What kinds of things end up in the moleskins? Oh, everything. I mean, everything from like, I've done moments of mind dump of like confiding in myself of things I'm going through that I might not want to dish out on others or sketch ideas, creative thoughts and quotes from conversations I had or something I heard on the street or something I saw or things to remember. And 
books and songs and authors I want to check out later that, that have been referred to me and things like that. That is definitely one of the biggest commonalities that I see between the people of mine who are my favorite people, but also who are making things that are, you know, interesting and engaging and exciting is that there is an honoring of those impulses mm. because a lot of people might feel excited about some of those things that you felt excited about, but then you did something about it or you wrote it down, you took the time. And that is definitely a form of internal friendship because mm. you writing it down in your moleskin, somebody might not ever see. So the only person it would really be for would be for you. Mm -hmm. And you see how different that is than sharing something just online, which then has that temptation for it to be filtered down by like how it's going to be perceived mm -hmm. and et cetera, et cetera. The result of honoring that internal friendship for 15 years or more is to be at a place in your life where you have this vast reservoir of things to pull from mm -hmm. to make exciting, beautiful things. Yeah. One last question for you. This little tiny person is coming to your world. Mm -hmm. How does friendship, if at all, like what's doing in there around that particular experience? It's a natural process if you allow it to be. Mm. I came in with a very cinematic perspective of what becoming a mother is. And I was schooled in a big way that it's actually very individual, but it's also this beautiful, natural unfolding process of getting to know one another. Mm. She was put on my chest as a total stranger and I a stranger to her. Mm. And it's been this getting to know one another as she gets to know me and the world around her and herself. And for me, as a friend to her, it's creating a safe space for her to be able to do that. Yeah, and to encourage her to seek and to understand. Amazing. So if you could just kind of open a space in yourself right now to think maybe she in 20 years or 30 years from now here's this, mm -hmm. of what you've learned about friendship so far, like what's one sentence that, that seems like the most important thing to say to her? I think I'm going to take this from a book. It just popped in my head, Untethered Soul. And he says, explore the capacity to give and receive unlimited energy. Beautiful.